Scattered Lives Radio, part of the Inside Lens Network. If you are a victim of crime trying to graduate to being a survivor of crime with an emphasis on the aftermath of crime and how it impacts your life, if you appreciate diversity of topic and want to come along for the ride, if you're looking for cutting-edge programs, information, resources, inspiring people that assist you in finding your voice, you have come to the right place. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Lila Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast. So good morning, everyone, and happy Saturday. We are glad to be on the air, and um, I have to say that I'm extremely excited to to have a um, very special guest today. Um, we haven't I haven't featured uh, author Diane Fanning in quite a quite a long while, and we're doing it for a particular purpose because um, a book that she had had written um, several years ago is is uh, getting a lot of publicity in relation to the new episodes of the docudrama The Staircase regarding the Michael Peterson saga. And um, so I'm, I'm anxious to hear Diane's take um, with all the new information and, and all of that. But before we do, want to say good morning to Delilah. And so what do you think about this topic, Delilah? Isn't this great? I think it's wonderful to have Diane. Good morning. It, it definitely is. And I, I was able to watch some of the episodes on Netflix of The Staircase. And of course, her book, Written in Blood, is um, it's been out, I think, and she can correct me on this after the first right. trial. And if I'm also correct, I think she attended that trial. But regardless, we've got an expert here that is very immersed in this case, and I know that she's going to be able to tell us maybe some things that Netflix didn't tell. Yes, perhaps, and that's the fun of it. I think this is very controversial because there's so many opinions here. So, Diane, welcome to Shattered Lives Radio again. It's 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 wonderful to have you. Thank you. It's great to be with you again. Well, good, good. Um, I'm sure you've you've been doing a lot of shows, and hopefully we will we will take a different tack than um, what some other people have done. But um, for purposes of uh, people who are not familiar, and since you are very familiar in many ways, could we start maybe with um, sort of a thumbnail sketch overview? of what what actually occurred back in 2001 with with this case? Yes. Um, one evening, Michael Peterson and his wife Kathleen were the only two people at home. They went into the backyard and sat by the pool and had a drink, and Kathleen came into the house first. According to Michael Peterson, it was 20 minutes before he did. And he claimed that when he came in the house, he found her bleeding at the foot of the stairs. Um, There were things about the scene that just didn't look like an accidental fall. There was an awful lot of blood, and the situation was very bizarre when the police arrived because 
the blood blood had already started to dry, so they wondered why it had taken him so long to call. And that's how the whole thing got started in 2001. Michael Peterson was charged with the murder of Kathleen. Right. Um, well, can you tell us what motivated you to write Written in Blood and, and what were your working theories at that point in time, Diane? Well, I was uh, I, I was interested in the story because here was someone who had been a New York Times bestselling author. And as an author, that was like, you know, something that, that interested me. And the other thing was that Kathleen Peterson was a woman full of energy, in love with life, loved by family and friends, a competent and uh, professional woman, and also a, a fabulous hostess for parties. She was um, one of the bright lights in the town of Durham. And for her to become a victim in her own home, even at first, whether it was accident or intentional, it just seemed so wrong. It seemed like the, the, the scales of justice were out of whack just by the fact that she died so violently. And when I went into the case, there was uh, a thing in my in my head that said, now, he's an author. Why would he kill anybody? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit into my idea of an author. And so I was a little reluctant initially to um, assume that he was guilty just because he'd been charged. But then I went to the trial, and... Uh, the first thing that was a bit troublesome was I talked to the film crew that was in the original documentary. Much of that footage went into the Netflix Staircase documentary. And they said right away that um, that they were certain that Michael Peterson was innocent. <clears throat> and and I was surprised at that, that anyone had certainty before the trial actually started. And they said, well, you know, all this is, is because we're in the South. And you know how Southerners are. Uh, you know, they're kind of backward. And I was really shocked by that. That I mean, they came out of the but, gate saying that, right, not being objective. Yeah. And, it was, you know, frankly, um, I've always lived below the Mason-Dixon line. And I don't consider myself backward or ignorant. So I, I, I just was bothered by that a lot. And that was the attitude they took through the whole trial. And I think that was why so much of what they taped was so slanted and, and what they chose to put in the original documentary was so slanted towards the defense. So right. I just, really focused on many of the, you know, all of the interactions with David Rudolph and all of the, you know, building of the evidence and the strategizing and how are we going to get around this or that. Do you think it was that or they just, with these docudramas, they want to build the dramatic um, aspect of it, Diane? The last, the last uh, documentary they had made was about a, as best I can tell, a, 
a young man who was wrongfully prosecuted for a crime in, and they uh, did a documentary that got many awards. And I think they wanted to relive that glory with this case. Mm-hmm. And when things went the wrong way, they just were very embittered, and they blamed the South, which I don't think it was. You know, one of the things were that they said, oh, because he was bisexual, they were biased against him. Well, not really. Um, The the defense painted this picture that was a little absurd, and the point from everyone that, that knew Kathleen was that she had left her first husband because he had an affair. That affair was with a woman. It didn't matter whether it was a woman or a man. The bottom line was Kathleen had no tolerance for infidelity. And so that would give her reason, the discovery of what he was doing outside of the marriage would have given her reason to want to leave. And I think that probably that night she had found out what he didn't want her to know. And he had, she had, and she had um, given him the, the word that she was going to leave him. And financially he couldn't afford it. Yeah. She she living off and of, of her. making a regular salary. And um, she was supporting him, the two girls in his care, and even her two, his two grown sons were getting financial support, along with her and and Michael and Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin. So she was carrying the financial burden for everyone. I mean, sure, uh, Michael had gotten a lot of money for his big book, but he spent all of that buying that house in Durham. Yeah. Well, you know, one I have so many questions. One thing is, um, you know, our good friend Susan Murphy Milano had always talked about something representing a pattern of conduct. And I'm wondering, do you feel like Diane, in having sat through the initial trial, allowing allowing the death of Margaret and Martha's uh, bio mom, do, would that have represented what Susan would have called a pattern of conduct in, in your opinion would should that have been let in I, I think so because number one he was the last person to see both women before they died number two the mat, manner of their death involved a staircase both of them number three the marks on the back of Liz's head and on the back of Kathleen's head were remarkably similar. And it is believed that he, he had revealed himself inadvertently to both women. They both knew something about him that they could not countenance. Uh, The family of Liz Ratliff believes that he was taking advantage of her financially. And and just about everybody who knows Kathleen believes that she found out about his affair with men, or affairs, I should say, and mm-hmm. she wouldn't do that. Well, 
It, did they actually have anybody? I mean, um, I'm just going by, you know, the many times I've seen the staircase. Um, anybody to testify that their relationship was not one of soulmates, irrespective of the bisexuality? Was was there anybody? Or they didn't show anybody that said, "Oh, geez, these people are kind of in a rocky, rocky relationship." Was that part of it true? Um. Their relationship was times exasperating for Kathleen because he was he was a bit on the controlling side, but she had a professional life and she just you know she got her gratification from there. She was tired of spending money on uh, grown sons, but she kept doing it. But it, there had to be tension there from that. Um, and also, I think that oftentimes when someone's leading a secret life and the other person doesn't know about it, they think they have a good relationship and then suddenly they're betrayed and they realize that it was all a lie. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they're revealed, and they have to backpedal, and they have to cover their tracks and all of that, correct? Yeah, and uh, for some people, covering their tracks, unfortunately, means murdering the person who discovered them. <laughs> oh. oh, Well, what was it about this trial just what, that, in, that struck you um, that was maybe very unusual as opposed to other trials that you sat through and said, you know, this, I, I need to write this book. What, what about the trial process, given your perspective, irrespective of the staircase uh, of people? Well, it, w- it was really a very fascinating, a long trial, and, and, and very fascinating. I will admit, when they went to the financial evidence, I thought I was going to fall asleep. But, you know, it's an important <laughs> part of any case, but it can be rather boring. Um, mm-hmm. But there were there were so many people involved in this one family. And, and the history going back to the death of Liz Ratliff in Germany and, and the death shortly before that of her husband. And you've got these two little girls, Martha and Margaret. They lose both of their parents in very short order. And they're just little tiny kids. And Matt, uh, Michael and Patty take them in. But one thing that seems to get wrong in almost everything I see about this case, Michael never, ever adopted those two girls. Everybody refers to them as his adopted children. But he did not adopt them because since their father had died on duty in the armed forces and his mother had died while she was working for the Department of Defense as a teacher at a school in Germany, there were benefits to be had for those two girls. And if he adopted them, those benefits would end. And he didn't want the money to stop flowing. Oh, I didn't I didn't hear that. You know, in the staircase when they had done focus groups about what do you think about this person and that person and I believe, you know, people were to his credit they said anybody that would adopt somebody else's 
children, you know, I'm already going to give them a favorable view. So that you're you're telling us that he really didn't legally adopt them then, correct? He never adopted them. He tried wow. to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, those poor girls, from a young age, they had been buffeted around. They lost their father. They lost their mother. Then Michael leaves Patty, who was their substitute mother, and then, uh, you know, then the, she kills Cat. He kills Kathleen. And what are you looking at? You're looking at two kids who the only constant in their life for most of it was Michael Peterson. Right. So no wonder they adored him because he was the stability. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Well. well uh, you know, what I'm wondering, the more I've seen this, the um, and I've forgotten her name now. The of uh, uh, the mom of of the sons there, she is highly intelligent, very well educated, but just just the way she spoke. You know, we we parked the car, the automobile in the garage. I mean, I. I was just sort of fascinated by this woman. She just seemed to be sort of a throwback to something else, just her whole demeanor and the formality with which she approached everything. Do you, do you, what, what was she really like as a person? Because I just thought she was very bizarre in a way. She was very unusual. Having a conversation with her, was a strange experience, and you felt <laughs> constantly there was something behind her words. I mean, she has said to many others, as she said to me, that even though she was divorced from Michael, he was her husband and would always be because she pledged that till death do they part. And, you know, that in itself is indicative of some kind of mental illness in today's world. God only knows what, but... Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's not stable behavior. And um, she is very intelligent, but I uh, guess the word space cadet keeps coming to my mind. <laughs> well, Diane, did she did she continue her relationship with the girls as they grew older, or were they kind of estranged from her? As far as I know, that relationship did not continue. I mean, yeah, she, Patty bopped in and out of their life occasionally, but she was not part of their life. Well, I was just going to ask Diane while writing this book, how many, how many people did you get to um, interview? Did you interview the daughters? Did you interview other families? I I did not interview uh, the girls. I did interview their aunt, and I did interview um, Michael Peterson's sister. And um, so the, out of the family, that those were the people I was able to talk to. Um, but then, you know, on the other side, I talked to a lot of people who were related to and or friends of Kathleen Peterson. Including Candace, Candace Zamperini? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, tell us about your interactions with her. 
she is an incredibly passionate woman who believes in justice, who loved her sister, who has been outraged by uh, the way that Michael Peterson has had to pay so little for the death of her sister and for the death of Liz Ratliff. Those two women deserve to live. And Michael Peterson deserves to be behind bars. Mm-hmm. Well, I found it interesting that in in the sequel, you know, the new DA that they have here um, had made a comment saying that in the negotiations with the plea deal and whatnot, that they would rather lose a trial than to deal with Candace. Now, to me, they didn't even, you know, uh, David Rudolph kind of glossed over the whole concept of victim rights. I mean, they deserve to have their victim rights represented. And it doesn't matter whether you like someone's personality or not. That was, that's part of the equation. But it, that's, yes, you know, and they, I, think, I, right? think the re- I think the reason for that point, which is very unfortunate, the reason it came to that point is that Candace had been beating her head against the wall, trying to get information from the DA, trying to get um, persuade them to go for a new trial. It took years before any real action happened, and he's walking around uh, part of the time with an ankle bracelet on, ankle and then he's that- oh. and, and she was and- she got more fiery the longer the time she had to fight. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, she did, you know, she had a very scathing and compelling victim impact statement because, you know, I do that as part of a service to people. And uh, um, Delilah and I were discussing that uh, about a week ago and saying, wow, you know, that that impact statement was, like, incredible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Candace has has dedicated so much of her life to getting justice for her sister and um, for anyone to dismiss her and dismiss her anger about how this has been handled is um, just to me someone who doesn't really care about victims right well I thought like I say they glossed over the whole victim rights things it wasn't a oh she's a tough personality but can you explain, Diane, to our listeners, um, uh, from the judicial standpoint, why did it why did it take so long to come to, to come to this point? You you tell me. I mean, I could not <laughs> figure it out. It seems like that the, the the prosecutors were afraid to do anything. I mean, I called them. I don't know how many people called them trying to get them to make a decision, to move forward, to do something. But it was like they were afraid to get into it. I don't know if they were all suffering from Duke lacrosse team uh, spewback that they had not much before that, or if they just didn't want to get themselves involved with the case that, it was another person's case. It, it just, it baffled me. I, I couldn't understand why they weren't moving forward, and neither could anyone um, in, in Kathleen's family. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's the South, Diane. I had to say that. <laughs> That's why it took so long. No, I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm no. being facetious here. But, I don't, yeah, it was just incredibly long time. And you were wondering, you know, all of these years, like, what's going on? But with regard, in, you know, a little later on, I, I mean, there's all of these supposed points of, of new I'm going to be the devil's advocate here, too, in terms of new evidence that was was uncovered or things that weren't addressed and things that were done incorrectly. Every single case has things that are mishandled and whatnot, um, and that's what the new episodes of the of the staircase focus on. But before before I get to that, I wanted to know what's your impression since I'm from Connecticut and this is where. You know, the beloved Henry C. Lee Forensic Institute is based in, you know, University of New Haven. Um, what was your impressions of Dr. Lee and his effectiveness? And, um, you know, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't testify, you know, if, if he thinks, if, if he's the person, you know, if, if he doesn't take the opposing view. So what were your impressions about Dr. Lee? I lost a lot of respect for him when I heard him testify at this trial. Why? Um, Number one, one of his statements was, it's too much blood for a beating. My heavens, is that even possible? I don't think so. It doesn't sound scientific, just saying that, right? And then he talked about how the stringing technique was something, oh, nobody uses that anymore, and yet he uses it. He he put put down somebody using it. The one thing that really was disarming to me was that ketchup demonstration. And they didn't do that in the documentary, but he um, spit ketchup out in the courtroom to demonstrate aspirating blood. But there was no blood in um, for Kathleen to ask. There was nothing in her trachea or lungs. So it was not even possible, and yet he was willing to set up this phony performance for the sake well, Diane, of Well, Diane, wasn't that about coughing up, coughing blood versus aspirating? Yes, but there, but she couldn't have coughed up blood because they found nothing there that could have been coughed up in her throat, her trachea, or her lungs. Right. Well, from what I remember, he was saying because the skull bleeds so pro, uh, profusely, that it could have been blood dripping down her head and her face, and she was swallowing that blood and coughing it. Is that is that possible? No, he he said aspirating. That's he, what he said, said aspirating. Okay. Yeah, and um, so that that was stupid. He did not like David Rudolph. He insulted him. Now that's okay. I mean, I don't really have a problem with the fact that he did that, but I thought it was kind of bizarre. The other thing that he, the one thing that he did that to me was startling in its importance is when the prosecutors asked him about Deaver's 
conclusion that the the blood evidence showed that there was a point of impact that was in midair. In other words, it couldn't have been caused from a step or a wall. It was in midair. And Dr. Lee said, yes, he was correct. There is that impact. Now, that to me was sufficient enough to support that one conclusion by Deaver. And that evidence should have stood. When it's confirmed by the defense witness, how can you throw that out too? I don't know, but, um, you know, in subsequent, you know, the, the whole premise of the of the hearing that Rudolph got was to get into the fact of how Deaver was, you know, faked his credentials, um, made up all these phony forensic experiments that weren't scientific, and uh, you know, and and then as you know, they 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 were able to to release someone from prison who whose sentence was was uh, determined by Deaver's Deaver's testimony. What do you what do you say about all of that? I, I agree that Dr. Lee had said, and I remember this, Diane. Oh, he did good work meaning he built a, a good staircase model and that's part of the uh part part of the uh Chinese culture to say you you do good work. So I mean I don't know what do you have to say about those things? <laughs> well, he, here's how I look at it. The, the defense is going to paint him deeper as bad as he can. What I saw was yes there were these things that were wrong. And yes, he improvised when there wasn't a procedure that um, that the state had said this is the official procedure. But in some cases, what Rudolph criticized him for were things that was established state procedure. They're what the state approved for him to do and others to do in that capacity in North Carolina. And it's like, if you remember back to how arson evidence changed so dramatically, there were changes and it took a while for all the states to keep up to show to in arson cases. And there were some wrongful convictions in those. This was kind of similar. This was kind of similar to that, that procedure had procedures had changed and developed and gotten more sophisticated. And the state was slow to catch up with that. That was part of of what what Deaver is being blamed for. That is not his fault. Um, part of it was his fault, but part of it just wasn't. And um, you know, and to me, you didn't even need Deaver's testimony with a lot of these things. I mean, why did why did staircase not mention the fact that there is a clear bloody footprint on the back of Kathleen's pants made by Michael's shoe. Never mention that. And mm-hmm. why have a wife who is, is deceased or dying at the foot of the stairs, <clears throat> would you put your foot on her rump? I mean, really, why? It shows a disdain then the other thing that you 
never heard on there was the fracture with hemorrhage of the left thyroid cartilage. That was not mentioned. And that shows someone grabbed her around the neck. And then to me, the most telling thing of all was the presence of red neurons in her brain. The only time they find those at autopsy is when someone dies from slowly bleeding to death. It takes at least two hours. And most experts will say they've never seen it in less than two and a half. So that means Michael's whole story of coming in 20 minutes later, finding her body, and calling 911 is a total, absolute lie. Mm-hmm. And of all the things Michael Peterson said in that 911 call, at this massively <clears throat> bloody stain, bloody everywhere, never once did he mention there was any blood. He didn't mention blood. Uh, how long did, uh, I mean, they kept mentioning how the when the detectives arrived that the blood was dry. How long does it take for the blood to sufficiently dry to that point that they were speaking of? Um, well, you know, a lot of it depends on environmental conditions. Yeah. But honestly, the people that were there from the EMS people on on through, the blood was a lot drier. It was not completely, totally dry, but a little bit sticky. It was a lot drier than it should have been if there had only been 20 minutes passed. Wow. So many, so many questions. Um, in the, in the uh, later episodes, they talk about uh, they get a, a new uh, VA or, no, a new attorney that, that Michael hires when, when Rudolph says, you know, I've had it, I can't do this anymore. And then that, that gentleman has a stroke. Um, but ultimately, before he, he steps down and his second chair takes over, they discover, and I want to see, you know, you, what your take is on some of these. Kathleen's clothing was never tested for DNA. And, in fact, all of the evidence was contaminated in terms of how they stored it and it was moving boxes versus evidence boxes. What do you say about that stuff? Well, I think that um, the the evidence um, had not been contaminated at the very beginning. That maybe with time it degraded. Um, it, there were uh, tests on the blood on Kathleen's body and it was all Kathleen's blood. Um, there, so that was tested. Um, and when you look at a case where uh, you're testing DNA and you're talking about someone who lives with someone else and someone who touched the body after it was down, what good would it do to find Michael Peterson's DNA on there? Right. Well, they were. They, weren't they implying that perhaps there would have been somebody else's DNA on her clothing if he, in fact, didn't do it? They were implying that, but that doesn't make it true. Right. Right. And was it? What? What did you think of the um, statement that uh, Beaver and his assistant, you know, circumvented the process and? 
and had that uh, had that information sent to them so that it wouldn't be be sent for DNA. That was one of the charges, you know, from Rudolph that oh, it went directly to them so that they could control the process and the outcome. Well, that's that's a lot of times what 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 happens in a lot of uh, murder cases. The mm-hmm. local people bring in the state people to do a lot of their forensic analysis, sometimes to even be involved in interviews. I mean, the state of forensic people and Bureau of Investigation cooperate with local police forces all over this country all the time. And to turn it over to the people who are experts is not an unusual thing. Mm-hmm. So that that really sort of didn't that theory didn't hold any water then for you. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I mean you know, and I keep going back to the fact to me, the red yep. neurons say it all. He lied. He told a falsehood in the very very beginning, and the people who tell falsehoods in the very beginning, that marks them with guilt. Well, he's always been you know, uh, portrayed as a a master storyteller. So whether it's in a book or whether it's in person, you know, I guess he was good at, he was good at that, good at maintaining certain, portraying himself in in different ways for different people, such as, you know, lying about his Vietnamese, uh, his, his injury in Vietnam and all of that kind of thing, correct? Correct, correct. I hate any lies that could make him look bigger and better and superior, he would embrace with great fondness. Yeah. Um, the typical narcissist and sociopath. Some of my colleagues at work call that, well, that's a, a, white, a white male syndrome. I don't know, but, uh, you know. He, he definitely, well, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not one to, uh, since I like having my man around, I am not one to all men with one brush. Well, that's that's good. But I I work with a social worker who's always talking, oh, that's a white male. So, you know, I, I just kind of laugh when I hear that. Um, but I thought yeah. I'd throw it out there. Um, with regard to... Um, Deborah Radish and, you know, the assistant medical examiner, and we learned from the later episodes that supposedly um, the head um, ME had told her to change her finding because initially she she supposedly thought it was blunt force trauma, and he said, no, no, tell them that it was homicide. What, what do you have to say about that kind of uh, of charge? It was changed to what? It was changed. She uh, Rudolph had made a comment where they learned after the fact, I think from Freda Black, uh, that um, she initially thought that that the um, the ruling was blunt force trauma, but her boss, the the, the head ME, told her to say no, it was homicide. Uh, they came across some kind of memo or something from Freda Black that this was documented, that she changed her testimony. Uh, I, you know, I, that, that thing just sounds fishy to me. <laughs> Deborah Radish is, an, is 
the ultimate professional. She is so good at what she does. And she is an upright woman. And, yeah, so there, there's, there's different things. There's two parts. How the person died, and that was the impact of blunt force trauma. How yep. that was administered, and that's homicide. So those are two different things. Um, and colleagues often discuss these things and, and say, and, and we do not know besides some sort of memo, what kind of discussion took place. And I just will not ever believe that Deborah Radish did anything that wasn't thoroughly professional. Mm-hmm. Would they, do you think, you know, they made a big deal about the fact that they, you know, drove all those hundreds of miles to, um, to, Dig up the the uh, the friend's body and bring it all the way back. Bring it all the way back to Durham versus having someone that was competent in Texas, you know, do a do a a reexamination. Um, do, do you think that was that was necessary on the on the part of the prosecution, or would that have changed anything if they had a competent ME do, do the work in Texas and save the taxpayers a lot of money? The ME who would have done that was obviously, by the way he took samples from the body and the things that he did do um, were was not what I would call a competent ME. In, in so, Texas? No. Yes. Well, yeah. so they so, they had recommended like the other people. Yeah. So that's why they felt, you know, we should bring it all the way back and, and have Deborah Radish do it. Is that right? Well, and plus, you know, most medical examiners trust more what they can see with their own eyes, feel with their own hands, and analyze on their own than they do with anyone else. That's just part of being an ME. And um, so I do not fault any Emmy for wanting to do the work themselves. Could they have just sent her out there? Well, sure. But then what are they going to do with the other bodies they've got sitting back in Durham? I mean, it's it's one of those things that I think when people criticize it, it's armchair quarterbacking, and it's the best decision anybody could make at that time. And that's what they thought was best. Um, you know, he, the, the guy in Texas missed a whole lot of stuff, you know, because he did look at the body, but he missed a lot of stuff. And it, it mm-hmm. was, you know, it just didn't make sense not to tech, take charge. If you feel you can do it right and someone else isn't, why not do it right? Mm-hmm. Well, while we're on the topic of MEs, you know, when we when we switch over to Germany, and that was, you know, I remember David Rudolph saying, well, now you've got a really good film. Now that we have to go to Germany and we have to look into this. They had always um, maintained that that uh, Margaret and Martha's uh, mother died of an aneurysm. And so, and that, you know, that, that she wasn't killed in a manner similar to Kathleen. What do you have to say about, you know, the work that was done over in Germany? 
At the time that, that Liz died, the man who did the autopsy was very experienced in automobile accident deaths and things like that. Yeah. He was not, however, a forensic pathologist. He simply was not. Mm-hmm. And so he did not have the skills, he did not have the experience that was needed in that situation. And it, it just, it was mishandled. It was the word of Michael Peterson was taken and accepted as fact. When in fact, I do not think it was. And the, uh, they said there was hardly any blood. Well, that's not true. I mean, there's pictures. And there's the testimony of the woman who cleaned up that blood sobbing the whole time she wiped down the walls. Right. I I remember there were two people. One said that there was nothing, and then the other one said that there was tons of blood. So you're you're left thinking, well, who's telling the truth here, right? The person who cleaned up the blood through her tears. The Mm -hmm. other person, you know, a lot of times in our lives, in many different ways, We do not see things that are obvious because our mind basically shuts down and said, I don't want to see this. I don't want to remember this. I'm not going to look at this. You know, it's like, it's, it's difficult, but sometimes our, our, our brains won't accept things. As a way of dealing with our grief, then you're talking, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't know about the lack of qualification for the Eddie in uh, Germany, so that's another new fact that I learned from you. Thank you very much. Let's talk. We have about, I don't know, about 17 minutes or so, I believe, just to give you a time check. It's fastly going by. Um, the blow poke. <laughs> We, yeah. uh, you know, the linchpin of the case or the mis- the mysterious missing thing, at the very end, you know, of this episode, we find out in the hearing that, you know, and David Rudolph whispers to Michael Peterson and the other people, well, you know, we just dug up this, we found this photograph and these detectives, they knew about the blowpoke all along and they took a photo and it was in that garage and they never shared it with us and blah, blah, blah. So what are, what are tell people the significance of this blowpoke and what happened along the way and what do you make of it, Diane? The, the police saw the blowpoke. <clears throat> they did not, in their heads, they did not connect with it with a possible weapon. Um, it, it just was pretty simple. They they just didn't think of it. And uh, so it wasn't evidence in their minds. It was not until Candace Dapparini suddenly had um, a little epiphany in her head, and she remembered that blowpoke. And she had one herself. She knew how heavy the end of that was. However, the bar wasn't that heavy. It was kind of hollow. And she suggested that as a possibility. Well, the blowpoke was missing. And they also had, they also knew something that they did not pursue intentionally because they felt it would be problematic. And that was on um, the clothing 
worn by Todd Peterson. There was a transfer stain of blood on his shoulder, similar to what a blowpoke would have made. There was also, on the back of one of his shoes, a perfectly round drop of blood, which meant it had to drip from whatever was sitting on his shoulder. Todd Peterson. So what's what's going on there? I think that what happened is that the, the time Peterson came that was testified to, Todd Peterson came to the house, was actually the second time he was at the house. I think he arrived there earlier. I think that is who Michael Peterson called. That is who stopped him from trying to clean up some of the blood in the stairway because that was smeared. And he knew that, that that was just too obvious. I think he stopped his father from his panicked attempt to clean it up and of the murder weapon. Wow. That's the first time I've heard that. That's the, So they tested his clothing. Did, did they test his, his brother's clothing? I mean, everybody in the family, essentially? No, because only when they arrived, Todd was the only one there, and he was wearing bloody clothes. Okay, I didn't know his clothes were bloody. Wow. Well, he had that 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 those that much blood on it. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't like Michael Peterson who had a right. ton of blood. But yeah. Whoa, that 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 is very interesting. Um, now the well, it's the, like Michael Peterson's sister said the the uh, the staircase is an emotionally riveting film. But if you want to know the whole truth, read Diane Fanning's book. Absolutely. You have to get you have to get all sides of the of the of the uh, coin yeah. here. And um so it, and given, sister, given that you've said I'm that, like, would you have written a sequel to this or would you uh, is there anything where you might um does anything give you a doubt? Have you changed your mind on anything after this sequel has come out, Diane? We're we're dying to know that. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I I was a bit disappointed to find all the information about Deaver's misconduct, and and I think that I always think it's a shame when someone some official does not completely follow the rules because it messes things up. You know, uh, whether it's a drug induced judge. Or it's, you know, a a forensic guy screwing up. I mean, it causes immense problems to our justice system. And sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's accidental. But um, unfortunately, the justice system is in the hands of human beings. Right. And it just is uh, something where there are always going to be errors, intentional or accidental. And... That you can't prevent. But overall, it does not change the most compelling evidence in the case. And it does not change the what the correct verdict was. Mm-hmm. So you, in your mind, that it was the correct verdict. But with regard to the outcome and the the ne- negotiated plea that was done, because 
Michael Peterson felt he couldn't trust the system. He didn't want to go through it. It didn't have anything to do with age or his family. It, was that did, – did you feel cheated that there wasn't another full trial with what the judge did? How do you feel about that aspect? You know, sometimes um, when things are so messed up, which this this thing was just so messed up. Right. Um by a lot of different people. And uh, when when that occurs, the best thing you can hope for is some measure of justice. And oftentimes that ends up being a plea deal where someone accepts responsibility even if they don't get adequately punished. At least they're saying, I did it. And now almost everybody that takes a plea like that says afterwards, oh, I didn't commit this crime. No, not me. I just said that because I didn't want to go back to jail. Well, two on that. Um, You know, I don't believe a mature man or a mature woman is going to do that for the sake of not going back to jail. I mean, it's like you don't admit you did something. Unless you're, you know, you're a kid or you're somebody who um, has done something so bad you want to save yourself from the death penalty. I mean, it's like you don't just say, I accept responsibility and then expect people to believe you had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, if it had gone to that outcome where they would have decided to do another trial, do you think they would have gotten a change of venue just because of all that took place there? I don't know. It's uh, it, Judges have become more reluctant in, in, in recent years to um, move anything anywhere. And, um, and when they do, uh, they often actually just bring in a jury from someplace else, I mean, uh, to give the, the thing. So you don't have all the expense of moving everybody in the courtroom and everybody that's a witness all the way out of town somewhere. Um, sometimes it's called for. But when you've got a case like this who that had national and international notoriety, what good does it do? You mean to change to 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 change the venue right. or to have other people? Yeah, well, to change uh, the venue. This is a state right. commissary case. The only place you can move it is someone else, somewhere, someplace else in the state. I don't think there's any place in the state of North Carolina where they haven't heard about this case. Well, that's true. That's a very good point. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, everyone would would have formed an opinion, but it's like the OJ case. You don't have an opinion. Right or any you know any of the other um, cases that you've done so eloquently in all of your other books, um, you know I just wanted to go down briefly a little bit of a, a brief laundry list and some of the characters. Wondered if you had an update on people. Um, Bill Michaels Michaels brother right who was an attorney himself and fought so hard and uh, my understanding was that. I think it was he was he had kidney cancer and was you know battling his own health.
health issues and all. I noticed that there was no, he was not in the in the in the uh, later episodes whatsoever. Do you know what happened with him? The last I heard about him, and you got to realize, I wrote this book back when the trial was going on, so this was a long time ago. And yeah. he was not he was not a particularly young man then, and um, I don't. I, I'm, I'm sure he's still around, but whether he's a, whether he's still practicing law or not, I really do not know. Okay, and maybe maybe his health isn't isn't that well. Freda uh, Black, as I found out, you know, in researching what had happened with her, it's very sad that she had sort of this downturn. She tried to, you know, get, do her thing in uh, local politics. It didn't work out. And she just kind of, from from the, the um, articles that I read, kind of spiraled down and, you know, uh, developed a, a, you know, a, a drinking problem and, you know, had sort of a, a, a working class job in a dry cleaners. I mean, I don't know what she's doing in 2018, but, you, you know, what what do you say about her? She's another person that was very bizarre in terms of her personality or her demeanor. She was kind of flamboyant. Um, yeah. The trial, there was this huge political battle that, went on within the confines of the district attorney's office and she got beaten up and battered by that pretty badly. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it was really very sad to see her deteriorate like that. And, and I, I feel very badly for her. Um, but, you know, we've got to, bear responsibility for our reactions. I mean, we can't change other people's actions. The only thing we can change is our reaction to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. Jim Harden, he's a he's a judge, or you know, he became a judge from from prosecutor to judge. I'm not sure of the actual time frame, but it, to your knowledge, is he? He, he's still working as a judge. I don't know if it's a criminal judge or in some other capacity, the prosecutor. I'm not which, sure, sure which court he is in, but he he is still a judge, yes. He, he is still a judge. And interestingly enough, um, David Rudolph had since, you know, I know they, they claimed that Barry Sheck was his best friend and, you know, his his idol so he moved. He moved to North Carolina, and he's uh, in practice there. From 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 what I see online, correct? As far as I know, yes. Um, I you know I wonder how much he inflated his relationship with all that is uh, the Innocence Project. Uh, you know, it's like. He got up there in that courtroom, you know, and he he was ruthless and insensitive. There are um, ways, like, when the prosecution wanted to show a video or photographs of Kathleen after death, uh, they made sure that it was done in a way that it couldn't be viewed by the audience. And that 
that is showing sensitivity to the victim's family. David right. Rudolph, he threw things up on that big screen where everybody could see of a dead Kathleen. That was brutal. That was horrible. He didn't care how that impacted the families. And he didn't care about anybody but making himself look good and getting his client off. And I, I found him to be a very disturbing attorney. Mm-hmm. Well, they mentioned throughout here, and what, what would you say about this is that everyone, uh, Michael Peterson said this, everyone, they all, whether it's the prosecutor or the defense or the, the defendant, they all want to win. And somehow justice goes by the wayside because it becomes a contest, you know, a kissing contest, if you will, or, or whatever between the, the two sides and, you know, uh, uh you know, no holes barred and all of that. Do you do you think um, that that was, um, you know, that, that that was the case? I think that today there are far many defense attorneys that have forgotten they are officers of the court. Um, I think that there used to be defense attorneys who had ethics, who had a clear understanding of their responsibility. And yes, they would get up there and mention everything that could either vindicate or uh, lower the punishment of Mm -hmm. their client, but they wouldn't make stuff up. Right. And there, there are a lot of them now who they'll just, they'll take one word said by their client and blow it up into this, big storyline that mm-hmm. makes it sound like, oh, this person didn't understand the Miranda warning, when all they were really doing was asking the historical context for the name Miranda. Yeah, and I, I think that those are some of the tactics that they use. Um, but unfortunately, Diane, our hour is, is, has gone by. I would welcome you to come back at any time to the discuss this more, but before we cancel out, could you please give people contact information where they can purchase your book? Because I think, especially now that they know this, it's definitely worth the read. Well, you can you can get um, Written in Blood online from Amazon. Okay. And there's, I think there's a few other outlets that have it as well. But I know Amazon um, is able to deliver it. Uh, the uh, the original small-sized paperback has gone mm-hmm. out of print. They have a trade paperback size uh, available mm-hmm. now. Okay. Uh, some people might find, I think that there are a couple people online that still have the original paperback, but there is no change been made in the book since it was made into a bigger book. And it's also... Okay available from any place that has uh, um, like Kindle or Nook or stuff like that. It's available there and also available as downloadable Audible from audible.com. Okay, that's great. And and, and they can go to dianefanning.com to see the plethora of other books that you do have too, yes. right? Okay, yes, well, indeed. thank you again, Diane. Please do keep in touch and and, um, you know, don't be a stranger. 
we will talk to you very soon. Thank you for a wonderful hour. Okay, thank you, Delilah. We'll see you next Saturday.